What is ethics and how is our teaching of it evolving in engineering education? Our guest is Dr. Roland Tormey, a senior scientist of École Polytechnique Fédérale Lausanne, EPFL, in Switzerland. His pioneering research in teacher training and engineering ethics is changing how we think about this important skill. Drawing on the latest findings, he suggests four skills, ethical sensitivity, reasoning, motivation and agency, as foundational for future generations of ethically-minded engineers. He takes the view that our standard approach to teach moral reasoning using classic case studies such as the Challenger space shuttle disaster don't go far enough. He argues that these examples must be carefully selected and that we need a greater emphasis on emotional intelligence. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators podcast by CEFI, the European Society for Engineering Education. We're a non-profit international organisation active since 1973 and the largest European network of engineering educators. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. I'm Neil Cook from the University of Birmingham. And I'm Natalie Wink from Swansea University. So we'll discuss what engineering ethics is and the pioneering work Roland is doing in this area to consider the emotional component. Neil, I've touched upon ethics in a few modules in in different ways, um, from introducing engineering professionalism and codes of conduct with uh, first-year students, facilitating group discussions about ethical scenarios, and also with master's students um, sort of touching on responsible research and innovation. I guess when I first started teaching ethics, I was a bit disinterested and overwhelmed, really. But I've got to say, as I've gone on in time, I've started to enjoy it more and put a lot more effort into understanding myself. What experience do you have in it? Well, I've taught ethics for several years. And then in recent years, I've focused on ethics technology assessments. And I'm really interested today to see how the teaching of ethics has evolved. Welcome, Roland. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for thanks for inviting me. No problem. So just to introduce you, um, Dr. Roland Tormey is a senior scientist in the College of Humanities at EPFL. So he's a sociologist by training and began working in teacher education in the 1990s in Ireland. His research background includes inequality, intercultural education and identity. So he joined EPFL in 2011 and conducts practice oriented research in the role played by emotions within engineering ethics. So Roland... With a background in sociology, what particularly made you interested in engineering education? Yeah, that's that's interesting. You've already flagged that my trajectory took me through teacher education and into engineering education. In a sense, I've always worked outside my discipline. I've never, you know, really worked in sociology. I've always worked in 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 how sociology is applied and useful in professional education in other disciplines and and what what attracted me to teacher education initially was was the idea that education in itself had a 
has a capacity to make a difference in the world. It has a capacity to change how people think and act. And that was the same thing that really interests me in engineering education, um, uh, because engineers, you know, play a very significant role in terms of shaping the world of today and tomorrow. And so being able to engage with them in terms of shaping how they think and act is, is, is kind of an exciting opportunity. Hi, Roland. Hi, Neil. You're from EPFL, which is located in Lausanne and uh, Federal Institute of Technology. And it was founded in 1969, and it calls itself one of the youngest institutes of technology in the world, with 17,000 students and employees from 120 nationalities. So can you tell us something about EPFL and what it's doing in engineering education? Yeah, so uh, I think you picked up uh, on one of the interesting things about EPFL there, Neil. We say 120 nationalities on campus, so it's a really cosmopolitan place. And that's a kind of interesting place to be in terms of conversations about ethics and how it relates to, to engineering. I guess the second interesting thing about EPFL is that uh, in our last management restructuring, uh, they appointed a uh, vice president with uh, with with a mandate for responsible transformation. And in particular, that includes looking at how we ensure that the engineers that we graduate are responsible engineers. So the idea of sustainability and ethics is becoming increasingly evident in terms of what we're, what we're trying to teach. And then from my point of view, uh, in terms of my own work, I'm not an ethicist, I'm not a philosopher, I'm an educationalist. So my interest is is uh, is in how people learn and and develop these ethical competences. And and I guess that that also brings an interesting dimension to the work, focusing in on not not just you know what is the ethical thing to do, but also how do people learn to be uh, ethical in their practice. Okay, so before we start on your work in this area uh, for the listeners can you give us a quick summary of what we mean by engineering ethics and why you think it is important and relevant to teach in the way in which you phrased the question neil you put an emphasis on the word engineering uh, beside ethics and, and i do think that's important right that you know ethics can be seen as a branch of philosophy and i i do think that, that there's an evident value in a philosophical perspective on ethics. But I think if we teach it to engineers as if we're teaching philosophy, then in a sense that conveys a, a kind of hidden message, a hidden curriculum, which is that it's not really their problem. It's a, it, it's, it's a problem for someone else who studies things different to what they study and who thinks in a way different to the way in which they think. So for me, I think part of the key issue here is about how we make ethics relevant to engineers, how we link it into engineering practice, how we link it into what engineers are actually going to do. And, and within that, then I think that, you know, when psychologists look at, at, at how people become ethical, they, they often identify kind of four different components to that. Uh, one, one is an ethical sensitivity, an ability to recognize that there is actually an ethical question here to be addressed. Uh, the second is is ethical reasoning, the ability to think through a problem and identify what would be the right thing to do. Uh, the third would be ethical motivation, you know, the drive to actually want to do something about it. And the fourth would be uh, ethical agency, so the ability to 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 actually make change happen in in a context which is often set up. 
such that you know it's it's not really set up to enable change. So how do they work with the people around them to affect change if change is necessary? So those would be the kind of four big areas of of learning goals that that I I would focus on in engineering ethics. Okay, so when we talk about engineering ethics, we have these four areas of learning and this challenge of addressing the hidden curriculum. Exactly. So, Ronan, from what you're saying, it sounds as though um, when we're teaching ethics to engineers, we should consider not only what's relevant to students as they become engineers and professionally, but also we need to, to some degree, consider their life experiences um, and their background up up to that point. Would you Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think it's hard for us to expect that they will um, have, you know, a substantially developed uh, approach to ethics, uh, uh, which they can then just apply to their engineering practice. Um, you know, we often hear people say things like, well, you know, ethics is, is what you learn in, in the home when you're young and, and then you just apply it in this situation. I, I don't I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think people do need to learn to uh, think ethically and reason ethically in the context of engineering, you know, partially because their ability to see what are the ethical issues, you know, in, in engineering is one of the things that we need to educate them on, um, but also because their ability to transfer kind of principles and ideas from one setting to another, you know, for all of us, not just for students, for all of us, uh, transfer is one, of, is one of the big challenges. So I do think we need to explicitly, you know, address engineering ethics within our, within our, our programs. We can't simply expect that they'll bring it with them in. So in the literature, there is this concept of the the human stages of ethical behavior what's called the minnesota approach where you have these three stages pre-convention convention and post-convention could you give us a an example of how that would apply in engineering the model you're describing there is one which is is very commonly used by uh, psychologists and uh, when i've described earlier on these kind of three areas you know, sensitivity, reasoning, motivation, and uh, agency. Um, these, this idea of these, these different stages really applies to the second part of that, which is about the reasoning people do. And, uh, and you know, the, the mainstream work in, in psychology says that over time, people uh, become more sort of complex in their, in their moral reasoning, uh, that when they're young, they tend to work on the basis of rewards and punishments. They do things because they'll uh, get a reward and that they won't do it uh, if they're going to get punished. And that's that's what they refer to as the pre-conventional stage. Um, the conventional stage, it tends to be a stage in which people do what their community says is the right thing to do. So they follow the norms or or, or practices or beliefs of their, their, their community. And then post-conventional stage refers to people who uh, are able to, you know, think through an issue and come to an independent position which they can defend for themselves on on what is the right thing to do and so you know the the, the kind of traditional belief in psychology and also in philosophy was that you're looking to for people to move towards this post-conventional stage where they can independently think for themselves about what what is the right thing to do when you apply to engineers uh, uh, then you can ask the question you know if an engineer is going to make a decision about how to address a moral dilemma 
someone is uh, uh, faced with a situation where they're not entirely sure that the data is 100% defensible, but their boss tells them it is, um, you know, do they, you know, re-raise the issue with their boss or do they speak to their boss's boss or do they simply uh, uh, accept what their boss has said? Uh, when you're faced with that dilemma, how do you approach it? Do you, do you worry about, you know, will I get rewarded or will I get punished? Uh, if so, that's that's the pre-conventional stage. Uh, do I think, well, okay, I'll just follow the rules and the rules says I should, you know, do what my bosses say. That's the conventional stage. And being able to, you know, think through both sides of the argument and come to your own decision, that's the the post-conventional stage. That's that's kind of typically regarded as being the goal of ethics education. The, just the one thing to be careful about on that is is that, you know, people being able to think through an issue and coming up with a decision in terms of what's the right thing to do. Uh, is only a small part of of whether or not they'll actually go on and do the right thing. And that's why, uh, you know, over the years, people have moved from focusing almost exclusively on moral reasoning into having this wider perspective on ethics, where you're looking at not just uh, reasoning, but also looking at motivation, sensitivity, and, and agency. So we have this goal of getting our students to this post-convention stage. Is there anything different or unusual about engineering students that makes teaching ethics and getting them to this third stage challenging? Yeah, it, so that's quite interesting. A, a, a question. I'm I'm not sure there's something different about about engineering students in and of themselves, but there's definitely something different about people who go through engineering programs. Um, so, in other words, it may not be the students that are different. It's us. It's people who teach engineering that that are different. What's different about it? Well, if you look at uh, you know research which tries to measure moral reasoning, what you typically find is that as people go through degree programs, typically their level of post-conventional moral reasoning, their level of kind of advanced moral reasoning, uh, normally increases over time. And uh, engineering programs, when people have looked at them, seem to be a little bit of an outlier in this respect. Uh, engineering uh, students in engineering programs seem to not increase their post-conventional moral reasoning to the same extent as in other types of professional degree programs. Um, and in some cases, in some research, uh, we've actually found uh, slight declines in post-conventional moral reasoning as students kind of become more conventional. They become more kind of rule following um, and less independent in their thinking. Uh, during some stages in in uh, during some parts of, of engineering education, so engineers do seem to be a bit of a um, a, a bit of an outlier uh, in terms of the way in which they you know learn to think about ethics in in their their ethics education, and and some of the research which has looked at that has has looked at the way in which has suggested that it's not just you know it's not just what the students bring in the door it's not that they come in as being you know, less ethical than uh, people going into other disciplines. I in fact, some of the research finds that they come in with, you know, lots of idealism and lots of uh, passion about wanting to make the world a better place. It's that during the course of their engineering studies, we implicitly, but nonetheless systematically, um, give them the message that ethics is someone else's problem. And give them the message that engineers don't think in the same way as people who are worried about ethics think. 
Um, and so, yeah, so there's so the, so the suggestion I would have is that it's not necessarily the students that are different, but it is potentially the way in which we do engineering education, which which seems to be a little bit different than the way in which other professional education programs work. So this takes us back to this idea of the hidden curriculum. We have our students stuck at, if you like, the stage two. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I'd say if, if that they're stuck at stage two. I mean, many of them do, do have reasonably high scores for post-conventional moral reasoning, but those scores don't necessarily increase over the course of their studies with us. And, you know, in other degree programs, they typically would increase. And, and, and in some cases, we do see slight declines as they move back more into stage two than into stage three. I, I don't want to say they're stuck in stage two, but they definitely tend to, uh, there, there is definitely a, a stuckness um, and there is a sense of, of maybe moving towards a stage two. So as engineering educators, we're not doing as much post-convention teaching than we potentially could. Uh, I think I think that's a, an interesting way of thinking about it because uh, if you ask, you know, what is it that helps to develop post-conventional reasoning? It's uh, problems in which uh, there is no single correct answer, problems which require looking at it from multiple perspectives, um, problems which require recognizing the perspectives of sort of multiple people or multiple interests in the problem. And and so people tend to develop their post-conventional moral reasoning when they're faced with those kind of complex problems that require a bit of uh, a bit of thinking through and a, a, a bit of looking at things from different perspectives. In engineering education, a lot of the problems we give our students, uh, you know, particularly in the early years, are not necessarily of that type. They're not open-ended, complex problems which require looking at a range of different perspectives. You know, very often they are problems which require a single uh, um, numerical or algebraic answer. Um, and, and our students do an awful, awful, awful lot of questions which uh, there is a right answer um, it's either right or wrong. Uh, there's not a whole lot of question of perspective in it, and uh, and yeah, I think I think that that kind of is a way of implicitly telling them that these kind of questions, which are more open-ended, um, which require more of a, a sense of perspective, is not really what we're looking for from them. So, in some of your um, published works, you've described engineering ethics. Um, education is focusing on the thinking process um, and not the feeling or emotional process, which sort of relates to what you were just saying. Um, can you give us some sort of insights into what is meant by this and, and how they differ? Yeah, so um, uh, I guess the way in which people think about emotions has changed a lot, particularly in the last 30 years, or at least the way in which researchers think about emotions has changed a lot in the last 30 years. Up until about 30 years ago, when people were, were thinking about questions of ethics and emotion, you know, emotion was seen as being a source of bias. So you wanted people to not be emotional, to not think, you know, to not include emotion in there as part of their judgment, because it was seen to be biasing, uh, um, you know, good judgment. And, and really, from the 1990s on, people started to think about dif emotion differently. Um, you know, you've, you've heard about concepts like emotional intelligence, for example, which really grew as an idea during the 1990s. And I guess that was part of a broader movement where people started to say, hang on, emotions aren't a problem. They're not something we should be denying. They're, they're an integral part of who we are. 
And actually, you know, neuroscience research started to identify that emotions was an integral and important part of good judgment. Um, and then research in psychology and, 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 and philosophy started to identify that actually emotions can play sort of important, valuable roles in helping us, uh, uh, um, in helping us think effectively. And so, you know, one way in which this, this, this kind of uh, um, research developed was, was around the idea of moral emotions, around the idea that, that, that our, our emotions very often tell us very quickly, without requiring a huge amount of thought, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. So if we feel guilty about something or if we feel shame about something, yeah, well, actually, that's telling us something about how we are relating to other people, right? If, if we feel anger, you know, anger is, is, you know, from the days of Aristotle, anger has been, has been tied to a sense of fairness. We feel anger when we feel someone has been unfair either to us or to people we, uh, you know, we care about in, in some way. So, so there was a growing recognition that, that these uh, emotions, anger, uh, uh, um, uh, guilt, uh, shame, but also other, other emotions like, like, like awe, like, you know, uh, like, like the, way in, the way in which you feel when you uh, uh, um, see a Nelson Mandela, that sense of awe for, for someone who, um, who is, you know, widely regarded as being uh, a, a moral exemplar. Those kind of uh, those kind of emotions are are actually important. They're an important part of 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 ethics. They're important because they sensitize us to 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 issues. You know, when we feel the emotion, we we actually recognize that there's an issue here to be addressed. They're they're important because they facilitate particular types of thinking potentially, and and they're important because they give us motivation. And so, you know, I said earlier on that historically ethics was largely focused in on this reasoning part and, and you know, really to the, to, the, uh, um, uh, to the extent that the other dimensions were being ignored. Yeah, so the, so the idea here is that if we really are to take seriously these wider dimensions, then, then we need to actually start taking seriously the place of emotions in, uh, in, in ethics and ethics education. Okay, so I guess um, what you're saying is that we shouldn't be denying emotions, but maybe focusing on helping students to um, understand their emotions, more self-awareness, and, and maybe how to act upon on, upon that. Yeah, I think I think that's that's exactly it. Uh, uh, you know, we, we have these emotions anyway, uh, and and sometimes we're aware of them. Sometimes we're maybe less aware of them. But whether we're aware of them or not, they're impacting upon us. And so, you know, if if we're not aware of them and and uh, and we're having them anyway, then then it may be that we're not making you know good good decisions uh, uh, because of because of these emotions, and and sometimes we're not making good decisions because we haven't uh, stimulated the emotion. You know, take an example: when people are designing a product or a process, to to what extent are they imagining the people who will be impacted? By this product or process, to what extent are they, uh, um, you know, aware of how that will feel uh, for the people involved? You know, if if you're if you're designing a um, a, a, a machine learning tool that is going to uh, uh, impact upon whether or not people get their mortgage, um, you know, does are you thinking about the potential impact on the people involved? 
and and uh, and are you aware of that is that is that emotion something that has been you know called to mind for you uh, um if it is then you will probably make better ethical judgments is is the is the is the hypothesis and so yeah so our our issue is how do we help students to a be aware of the emotions they have and b how do we help them engage in in uh, in design process in a way that that enables them to feel the right emotion at the right time to the right extent so what you're saying roland is that good decisions need good emotions and we can extend that further and just say that engineering practice needs good emotions yeah i i think that's a good way of putting it and so therefore i think the question is you know how do we how do we teach students engineering practices that enable them to feel the right emotions let's just let's just take an example you know when when students are designing something uh, uh, um sometimes as part of the scoping process uh, um you know we get them to do empathy studies um so if if they're designing uh you know for example a process for cleaning snow off off roads and footpaths in Lausanne. Um, actually, getting them to go out and and look at who's walking on the roads and who's who's driving on the roads and who's walking on the footpaths. Uh, getting them to walk those roads and 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 drive drive on those roads and walk those footpaths so that they actually experience it is is quite powerful because you know what what do they see? Well, well they they start to recognize, for example, when they do that that um, women are more likely to be walking and men are more likely to be driving. Um, and so decisions which prioritize, you know, clearing snow on, on roads versus clearing snow on paths um, actually has an impact in a way in which they maybe hadn't considered previously. Um, uh, people who have lower incomes are more likely to be walking and taking public transport uh, as compared to people who have higher incomes who are maybe more likely to be driving. So again, you know, these things aren't neutral. Um, these decisions have an impact on different people in different ways. And, and unless they actually go out and experience what it is like to be, um, you know, in the snow on, on the roads and on the footpath, uh, they, they, they don't necessarily get that. So, so when we talk about empathy and developing the right emotions for engineering, that's an example of, of how if we can build in those kind of studies as a normal part of the design process, um, we're helping students develop the right emotions to help them, you know, make good decisions. So you sort of alluded to some of the ways you might go about um, teaching ethics, maybe by, you know, uh, making students walk around the environment. Um, I was wondering if you could, like, just give us some more examples of methods that are used for teaching ethics and, and sort of whether there's any consensus of the best way or the best approach to it. Yeah, I, I think the most commonly used method for teaching ethics is, is case studies. Uh, case studies are very, very widely used. Uh, and uh, case studies uh, are quite variable in terms of their quality and in terms of their impact. Um, I think in terms of choosing case studies, there's a whole range of different things people you know, should, should, should be looking at. So, for example... Uh, we mentioned earlier the role of emotion in decision making. Well, one one part of that is that sort of very strong emotions can often sort of cause us to recoil a bit, and people step back from situations which have very strong emotions in them. Um, you know, if you think of yourself as you flick through the newspaper, if you see a story about you know sixty people being killed in a bombing in in Ukraine. 
some people will stop and read it, but a, a lot of people will 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 not want to engage in that. It's it's they 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 implicitly and without necessarily thinking about it will take a step back from that story. And 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 students are the same, right? So if we fill their case studies with lots of death and destruction, um, there's a possibility that they will kind of take a step back from that and, and disengage from it. And and we do see this from research evidence on the use of case studies in engineering teaching, not specifically in engineering, but in in, in ethics teaching, not specifically in engineering, but but in other domains, um, where case studies which have a high degree of emotionality in them. Uh, tend to be less associated with student learning gains. Now, if you look at case studies we use in in engineering, you know, very often they have a lot of death and destruction, right? It's it's uh it's it's the space shuttle <laughs> blowing up, it's trains crashing, it's buildings collapsing, it's uh, uh you know molasses uh, 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 tanks collapsing and flooding through the streets of uh, of Boston. These are these are the kind of case studies which are commonly used, and so it's possible that those case studies are causing students to disengage. A second thing about case studies is, uh, is, is to be clear in terms of what exactly you want people to learn from it. Uh, I mentioned earlier on that people learn moral reasoning through engaging in things where there's no single correct answer, which requires them to take different perspectives. So again, if we look at the you know, space shuttle disaster, it's really hard to say that there is no one correct answer there. You know, if you ask students, what would you do? Most of them are going to say, I would choose to not blow up the space shuttle. Um, so so these some of the case studies we, we use don't necess- are not necessarily designed to actually improve students' moral reasoning. And so I, I do think that, that, you know, case studies, which are very widely used, is definitely an area which we could look at improving in engineering So, Roland, you started off by um, saying how important emotion is um, when we're teaching engineering students about ethics. Um, But now you're saying that sometimes emotion can be bad. So is there some kind of, you know, how do we gauge at what level we go in with this? Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good question. So the the issue here is about having the right degree of of emotion. Uh, You know, there is research on uh, case studies and the emotion component of case studies, um, which shows that having some emotional information in it, for example, telling the 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 student how the engineer felt, um, uh, you know, in the situation, that that kind of emotional information is actually beneficial both in terms of, of, of students' ability to remember the case study, but also in their ability to apply what they learned from it to other situations. So some degree of, of emotional information is important or is valuable in case studies, you know, a, a moderate degree of emotional information. But, um, it, you know, if we are to be facing students with, uh, you know, very extreme emotions, um, then we also have to, you know, do some work with them uh, in order that they they kind of have the skills or develop the capacity to to manage those emotions for themselves, um, because o- otherwise they will simply disengage. So, Roland, you've you've spoken about lots of of different skills which seem to underpin um, the ability of students to think in an ethical manner as engineers. So we've you know we've touched upon critical thinking, reasoning, um, sort of sensitivity emotional awareness, self-awareness. How, how do we go about assessing whether students are able to do all of these things? 
I, I think some of it can be assessed, uh, uh, you know, quite directly. And I, I do think that if you if you are clear about what the learning goal is, then it makes it easier to identify how you're going to assess it. So if we take something like ethical sensitivity, um, are they able to identify what are the ethical risks in 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 a given situation? Um, and that's something you can you can assess by giving them a case study to look at, giving them an opportunity to analyze it, and then asking them to identify what are the realistic ethical risks uh, uh, in in that situation. So so there are ways of assessing things like ethical sensitivity, like likewise for 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 ethical reasoning. Uh, um, in fact, there they you know there, there's a long history of assessing ethical reasoning um, uh, using techniques like sort of moral judgment interviews and also you know more objective kind of uh, uh, questionnaire type type tests so yeah I do I do think it is possible to to, to assess these things and, and I, I think there, we also need to think about assessment in terms of two different parts of assessment very often when we think of assessment you know in in higher education we think about assessing the students um, so we, we think about you know what what can I give them to do? That they can perform a task will allow me to give them a grade. I mean, that's 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 an, that's an important part of 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 higher education. I don't want to diminish it, um, but I would say that not everything can be assessed in that way. And just because it can't be assessed in that way doesn't mean it isn't important. You know, we 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 don't give them grades for their attitudes. Um, but I think we do want to develop in them certain attitudes, right? We do want to develop in them a sense of responsibility uh, uh, for other people and, and, and for their community. So, so we may not be able to assess that in the sense of giving it a grade, but, but nonetheless, I do think it is important. And that kind of brings us to the other part of assessment, which is not how do we assess the students, but how do we assess ourselves? How do we assess um, what we are doing as teachers and how do we assess the impact of what we're doing as teachers? And so, you know, there are, um, you know, questionnaires like uh, um, uh, uh, like the engineering responsibility instrument. Um, there are questionnaires or, or, or more objective tests like the engineering and sciences issues test, which is a test of moral reasoning, which I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use them for giving students a grade. But I think they're good ways of helping us look at whether or not students have developed over the the, the, the time that they're with us, um, their moral thinking, their moral their moral reasoning, their moral judgment, and their attitudes. And if they haven't developed those things sufficiently, well, that that tells us that maybe we need to look at how how we're teaching. Great, thank you. Um, you've certainly made me think about my assessment strategy in in terms of when I'm uh, teaching students about engineering ethics. So thank you so much for sharing your insights today, Roland. Um, just to finish, what advice would you give to listeners to this podcast to better teach engineering ethics in their own institutions? So like one takeaway, I guess. So I guess the one takeaway I would have would be to try and integrate ethical thinking into every in, into engineering processes that we're teaching them. You know, when we're teaching them uh, reverse engineering to try and, and and integrate into that some ethical questions so that it becomes a normal part of what they do when we're teaching design to integrate ethical uh, questions or or methods or approaches like the the kind of empathy studies we talked about earlier on into that so it becomes a normal part of what they do um, I think what we want to do is we want to make ethics a norm normal part of the engineer's life not something 
which is which is seen as being strange and uh, the responsibility of someone else. Great, thank you. So integration is is the key thing here. Um, okay, so thank you again, Roland. Um, we really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, no worries. Happy to be happy to have a chance to talk to you. Thanks, Roland. I found that conversation really inspiring. How about you, Natalie? Yeah, definitely. Quite overwhelming in some ways as well, though. I think I think I hadn't fully um, appreciated the the range of skills that sort of underpin the ability to to act in an ethical manner, really. Um, so it's really got me thinking about how I can incorporate some of those skills into my teaching and, and then as well, I guess, the different ways we assess all of those different skills. So I think I've got a lot of thinking to do about that. What, what are your thoughts? I think there's an emotional response to teaching ethics, which can lead to unintended learning. So I'm going to think about how I can better navigate that. Yeah, lots of thinking um, for us both to do by the sounds of it. Um, Okay, so thank you for listening to this episode. Um, We hope you've been equally um, as inspired as us to develop your your sort of approach to teaching ethics to engineers. And again, we'd like to to thank our guest, uh, Roland Tormey from EPFL. So I'm Natalie Wint. And I'm Neil Cook. Goodbye. Bye.